Hello, and welcome to Sound and Image Lab, the Dolby Institute podcast. This is a show about how artists use technology to tell their stories, and I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Today, I am pleased to welcome the filmmaking team behind Genius, a Kanye trilogy, the new three-part documentary about Kanye West from directors Cootie Simmons and Chike Oza, which debuted earlier this year at the Sundance Film Festival and is now available on Netflix. I got to speak with Cootie and Chike about their collaboration on this Kanye West documentary and how it began 20 years ago. And here they are now, after having shot over 500 hours of material for this documentary. And it is some of the most intimate behind the scenes footage of an artist I think that you will ever see. Joining us in conversation today is our old friend, the supervising sound editor and re-recording mixer of the film, Paul Shu, who you might remember was on our show just a few months ago talking about Tick, Tick, Boom with Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's back again today to talk about the Kanye documentary and to tell us how he weaved his sonic magic under some pretty uh, incredible circumstances. This is the definition of a run and gun documentary. Most of the footage shot by Cootie Simmons himself uh, on a single digital video camera, often with just a shotgun mic to capture sound. And so it was a big challenge for Paul to take all that material from over 20 years of capture and build it out into a really uh, full and immersive 5.1 soundtrack. And so you'll get to hear how that process went. And this was a difficult film to make and it took a long time. And so I was really eager to start the conversation by asking Cootie, uh, who did his first interview with Kanye back in 1998 in Chicago as part of a cable access channel. Within a couple of years of that first interview, Cootie had basically uh, moved to New York and dedicated himself to making this documentary about Kanye West, who was an artist at that time that nobody had really heard of before. So I started off by asking Cootie what he saw about Kanye uh, back in those early days that made him want to uh, dedicate himself to making this film. Well, you know, I didn't, I didn't know at the time that, you know, just following signs, you know, it's like God give you signs. And and I just kept running into Kanye, but I seen how talented he was and how charismatic he was. And when we did go around him with a camera, he loved the camera. And then, you know, fast forward to when I seen Hoop Dreams, I knew Kanye was the perfect candidate to like document, you know, cause I just, I seen Grammys, I just, something I seen, the vision that I seen with him. And, um, and I never really quit my job because I was doing stand-up comedy. So I just I just focused more on filmmaking than I did comedy, but I still had to get some money to even live in New York, you know. Yeah, that was one of the questions I had when I was watching the film, which is like, you're doing this for years. Like, how are you? How are you living? How are you kind of keeping afloat while you're making this film? Well, thank God I, I was married at the time, so my ex-wife was working, and I and I was a professional comedian, so I was I was traveling the world doing comedy. Um, even when I moved, I, I would go back to Chicago often. So I just said, you know what? I just have to stick in New York. I can't keep going back, you know. And and this one guy was like, he told me, he said, Cootie, if you want to make it, you have to have a, a, a final destination. You got to have a, a place that you're trying to go, a major goal. And uh, he was like, I think you're a filmmaker. You know, I, I was throwing parties. I was uh, doing comedy, acting. It was like I was all over the place. But he said, but if you direct, think about this, you can be. You could be the actor in your movie 
or you can, you know, like even like genius. Now I'm like a part of that story. So he was right. And then obviously, you know, you brought Chike in uh, when you guys were working on the, the through the wire video and, and that became, you know, part of the collaboration. And now you guys have a, a very successful production company that you run together. But like, I'm, I'm curious for the two of you and you two, Chike, like, how do you guys work together? And like, so what's the process of directing together? Because I think people are kind of curious about that. And like, how do you how do you navigate it when you disagree creatively? I mean, I, I think it's a blessing that we both have uh, respect each other's strengths, you know, and, and we understand what our strengths are. And we just try to cater to those. Cootie's an amazing storyteller. He's amazing with beats and timing. I believe a lot of it has to deal with just him being a stand-up comedy and, and either hitting beats or you're getting booed. So he had, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, for me, I went to art school and, and, you know, I come from packaging. I was doing packaging at MTV. And I'm really big on just how we're telling the story visually um, through whether it's, you know, through all the details, through, you know, color, sound, we hear with Paul and, and different elements like that of how those really impact the storytelling. Um, and then when we're on set, you know, Cootie's really, Cootie's more social, he's a sociable person. And so he's really good with talent. And uh, and we were on a set, he's usually, he's usually dealing directly with talent. I'm dealing with, you know, the DPs and, 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 um, and camera and, and uh, looking behind at the screen a lot. And then, then we switch up, you know what I mean? But we just, like I said, we know what we know what to expect from each other and what what to really what weight to put on each other for what what areas we shine in. And then at times, like I said, Cootie, he's still very very well versed in in how the visual storytelling is, and he can do that at the highest level and, and vice versa. But uh, you know, for us, I just think it helps us our sets move fluidly because there's not that much pressure put on one individual person to command an entire set. And uh, and all our sets run relatively smooth because of that, and we can get a lot of get more accomplished, I think, than in just an individual person. So I wanted to ask you guys. Uh, so you know, the the visual style of the movie changes quite a lot as we go through the years, and and obviously, I, th I think that's because you know, Cootie, I think you've got the you've got your original camera there, don't you? That you started off shooting with. Well, well, this is what we what I started filming Kanye with. I moved to New York. I got this. We had a GL uh, a GL one as well. Um, the Source magazine gave me a GL one because we were like doing stuff, you know, because they fell in love with Channel Zero, a TV show in Chicago that they gave us a camera. But the the uh, crazy thing about that is I got carjacked before I moved to New York, and and they took they the camera was in that in the car, that camera, and but it was a blessing in disguise because. If it wasn't for that carjacking, I, I, I might have not made it to New York because that's what really gave me the chunk of change of money because I just bought a condo and I, and I have my car. So when they carjacked, my insurance, my, my homeowner's insurance gave me the money for whatever was in the car and the car. But instead of buying another car and another camera at the time, I went and bought this one. But I moved to New York and that was, that, like I say, was a blessing in disguise. So. But you know, at first it was the VHS camera, the big one that you hold up here like this. So, but but Danny Swords was mainly filming that uh, the other cone of Channel Zero. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so you know, and obviously the look of the film progresses quite a bit as you as you replace your cameras and get better gear, mm -hmm. and also I think you probably get more confident in, in your skills and and whatnot and, and shooting as you go through. Mm -hmm. And then of course you know it gets to HD and all this, but 
if you listen, it sounds amazing all the way back to the original footage in 2000. And I have a feeling that that's not the way those tracks came out of your camera. So that's where we want to bring Paul in. I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, that that original material that you shot way back in, you know, 98, early 2000s. How were you capturing on on set? You got that camera. Were you just using the onboard microphone on the camera? How did you capture sound? Yeah, a lot on board. Um, but then, too, I, I, I did this one tour, Electric Moyo, with, with uh, Nissan. And when I got when I shot the whole tour, came back, footage was amazing. Everything was amazing. But the audio wasn't. So they was mad at me. But I said, man, y'all, y'all hired me to film. Not I'm not an audio guy. I'm a film guy. So I was filming. I wasn't thinking about the audio. So that was a blessing to disguise as well. Because then after that, besides this, um, Mama West, Donda, bought me a camera, a Sony, the HD, and they had the plug-ins on the side where I had a boom, a boom mic that I bought because after that experience, I was like, okay, I got to pay attention to sound. Thank God for that. So I had that connection, but all credit to Paul though, because I, I, you know, Paul really made made the sound happen. <laughs> Everything else, I didn't, I didn't know much other than that. What you say, Paul? No, so to be clear though. Cootie, at no point, maybe at some point, in, in the, all the footage, when is there a separate location uh, sound mixer there? Almost never, right? You yeah. you have your external mic, but he, this is, and that's the thing I think, and it's funny because I'm actually, at this very moment, we're petitioning the the uh, TV Academy Board, the Emmys, because Cootie is supposed to be on the nomination with me for, for a mixer, right? Because he recorded <laughs> all that sound. Like that, he was that he is, was the production sound mixer yes, too, exactly. right? Yeah, yes. and it's in the in the great tradition of like those old school documentary documentarians. He recorded. He just got really good signal to noise ratio, and it's like that. Even if the technology wasn't great, he he did the right thing in those scenes. Just like he knows where to point the camera, he got a good track, which then allowed me to do more with it. And it wasn't fancy, but. It's, it's just, it's the, that's in a way the beginner's luck of like how you record good sound. Just don't let it overmodulate, just get a good level. And he, could, he did that the entire time. Like there's, there's so much good audio that he recorded just because he had his wits about him. I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear you say that. There's a, there's a great uh, a quote from, you know, Paul, you know, Walter Murch, uh, the, the famous uh, picture editor and sound designer and any, any, I'm going to mangle this, but he says something like, you know, we've trained audiences over the years to accept different, you know, film grain and mixture of video formats and just that's part of your artistic style with the image but if you put degraded sound in front of an audience they just presume that you're technically incompetent and you don't know what you're doing that's not an artistic choice <laughs> so paul you said that the you said that the tracks were good but i mean y- you must have done some really some 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 magic on on some of that stuff because th- these are very difficult shooting conditions you're in cars you know they're sitting there they're talking while they've got music playing in cars so th- these are there's just some very challenging audio environments and so paul how did you how'd you kind of approach the stuff and dig it out well it's i mean there's definitely you know there's a lot of manipulation going on and to and to be clear like you know i i differ with some of you know my most respected uh you know mentors of another time who don't believe in in doing too much eq believe me i like a lot of eq is a good thing but the point is you have to have something to work with and that's and that's that's how that's how i went about it you know cootie provided a really good track a lot of times it was really just one or two tracks and then you have to just you know, manipulate the hell out of it, basically to get it to a place where it feels hyper realistic. But you can't do that if the track isn't solid to start with. 
and that and that's that's really like the 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 very real technical signal to noise stuff where the track doesn't have to sound particularly fancy but as long as the information is there you know it's it's akin to because I, I always love the the visual analogies it's like taking a photo if you have a good if the shot is well composed and it's captured correctly then you can you can do a lot with it. you can blow it up you can scan you can scan it you can recolor time it. you can and that's that's the audio equivalent like cootie gave me the information to work with and then from there yeah we did a lot but you can't do anything unless you've got that initial you know an information to work with so so yeah it was a, a lot of a lot of stuff went into it but the 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 track was there it was like a really and it's it's very similar to you know because if you, if you know if you notice from the from the film Cootie's camera work is incredible. Like he just knows where to point the camera at all times. And I don't think he realizes, but as he would say, you know, God is always, is always pointing him in the right direction. And same goes for audio. Like he just knew whenever, whenever they were about to press play on the track in the studio at the hit factory at a, an ungodly level, something told him to turn the volume, to turn the game down. And he just did. And so cut to us mixing the movie that was there to work with. And that's, if he hadn't done that, we, we wouldn't have had that option. So. Right. Can I say one thing though? I was real, real concerned about the uh, the Donda, um, Donda when she said the giant looks in the mirror and sees nothing because it was like this air condition that was blowing extra hard, and I can't believe how Paul cleaned that up to how he cleaned it up because that's the only thing I was really nervous. I'm like it's too powerful, and I and you know I don't know anything. I didn't know to tell him to turn off the air condition and you know and all the music as you see half the time. So. And the driving well, scenes as well. Right. There were some driving scenes that we were really concerned with. And I would, what I feel like Paul did was he took our film and gave you a sound experience that brought our film more into a cinematic journey as opposed to just a documentary. Like it really make it feel like a film, you know, um, because of the consistencies that he was able to create throughout, through all these errors, through all these conditions of what we were shooting in. And it made this thing that became seamless. And you didn't realize now when we were stepping in and out of these different spaces, it wasn't so obvious, you know? So Yeah, for sure. Chike, I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Cause I think the thing that really, that really struck out to me is as you're changing your visual style throughout the film, really the, the, the high quality of the sound and the fullness of the track is the connective mm -hmm. tissue that really just kind of sets that baseline and lets you know that, you know, we're taking a journey, uh, and we're, we're, you know, as an audience member, we're, we're in good hands. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, uh, Kudi and Chike, how did you find Paul? What, uh, how did you get him looped into this project? What was it about Paul that you responded to and made you think like, this is, this is the guy that we want to do the sound work on this film? Well, you know, sound is super, was super important to us in the beginning of the project. We were, we were always very like, we didn't know who we were going to be working with yet, but we knew whoever we worked with, it was important that we worked with an artist more than we worked with just a sound person, you know what I'm saying? And, and so like, those are sort of the mandates that came to our editors and to like uh, our producers. So I know Sebastian at time, he was just rummaging through a lot of, you know, potential collaborators for us. And so, uh, and, and Paul was in there at C5, his company. And then he sent us his work and, you know, it was, um, we saw an excerpt from, the five bloods and I think tick tick boom and uh and it was just the definitely because the five bloods wasn't even my favorite this is a perfect example five bloods was not one of my favorite Spike Lee movies at all and if so as far as a, as far as from the cinematic experience for me but so this the sound design work that Paul did in that film was amazing and I and I he just 
was able to, he, his approach to some of those scenes, especially like in Vietnam, they just, they were so artfully done. I felt like that, that's when we knew like, oh, this is our guy. Like he can take something and, and he can, he has out the box thinking with sound, but it's not too far fetched to where it throws you all out the film. It's still pretty grounded. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, we were sold at that moment. And then once we met Paul, I was like, just personality wise, we, we, we all clicked. Well, that's what I was going to say. We don't, we don't talk about that a lot, I think, in the industry, but it's like, certainly, I think in the New York is very much about that. But in, in general, at least for me, the, there's a lot of like, you got to lead with the heart, right? And so like you, when you see, when you get people that you feel are coming from that same place, then that's, you connect in that way. And then the technical stuff all sort of like fades in the background and you, you know, you hopefully you, you all bring whatever artistry you bring, but, and that for me, that was the experience. Like, you know, the two seconds after I met these guys, I was like, oh, this is, is going to be, this is going to be great. We were fortunate enough to have an editor in Max who's really like, like he pays attention to sound design. So like you can, Paul can tell you oh, when he got the first cut, like we already, the references that were in there, um, okay. you know, we were paying attention to the sound as much as we were to the image as far as just trying to set a good precedent to give to somebody that could just raise the bar a whole another level, which, which Paul did. Yeah. Glenn, you and I have talked about this before on other projects, but it's like, that's, I'm always trying to make sure it's clear to everyone that, you know, and especially on these kind of projects, so much of the sound design happens with the picture editor. And so like you guys saying, like Max, he lays this groundwork that is so, so essential. And then, yeah, when we're in the studio mixing the final, of course, we're bringing up a few more notches. We're bringing a whole other level to it, but it's like that, that the, the bones of the sound design, they, they, they happen with, with the capable picture editor so much of the time. That's a great point. I'd, I'd love to, to just dig in on that a little bit more because, you know, I, obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to talk about kind of the forensics and how to clean up the production audio and all that stuff. But you're working at obviously an entirely higher level in terms of sound design and that connective tissue that we were talking about. But, Paul, well, tell me, like, is there sort of like a maybe one or two favorite sequences that you really kind of got to maybe do a little bit more impressionistic sound design work uh, in, in this very naturalistic documentary? Well, the, the impressionistic stuff, I think, and again, Max really laid the groundwork for that stuff. And it's, it's really about finding that emotional balance between, you know, between Cootie's voiceover and the footage you're seeing and whatever, you know, sound design elements are happening. Um, but for me, I got to say all the, all the studio scenes are, are, are really important because they really show Kanye when he's, when he's coming up and he's really struggling to, to make this work, which make all this art that we know now but at the time nobody knew and and there's 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 some fun sort of like existential stuff there too because at the time that the that the cootie was shooting this i was a struggle i was an intern at one of those studios literally wanting to be a music engineer and a producer like i was in those same rooms listening to that those you know those same sounds at the same time so for me that it had to be exactly right right it had to be exactly that feeling when you're in the studio and a producer walks in and puts the tape in and plays it and you know they play it on eleven or twelve or thirteen unquestionably. Like it's you know that it's gonna be it's gonna be you're gonna feel it in your in your chest. And so that for me those scenes are the, really the ones that were that were like ascent. They had to feel like you were there, you know. And and that's where the manipulation really came in. Where you know you when you switch from a verite scene of just dialogue and then the moment that the, that someone presses play on the track and it's playing in the studio that that's where the manipulation started to take, take the track and really make it feel like, you know, feel like you were there. And that all comes from just the source. I mean, if you feel comfortable, I'd love for you to like, kind of just pop the hood on that and tell us like, there's so many of those great sequences, like, 
I mean, I, I, that sequence where he plays tracks for, for with Pharrell for the first time, like. Are you bringing the final recording in and kind of rebuilding that that track, or how are you actually pulling that magic off? Almost never, almost never. And it, you know, and it, and it's you know that would be the obvious go to. And we do it a couple times, in very in very very limited ways. But usually, and that's I know I sound like I keep repeating myself, but it comes back to the cootie recording. It's all signals to noise. If the information is there and you're not afraid of the EQ knob, it's all all the the track is there. You just yeah. literally have to raise, you know, the, the, you have to raise the, the, the low mids by 20, 20 dB, 30 dB to, to get it because it's there. It doesn't sound like it's there, but it's there. Right? If you, if you're willing to, to find the, the edge. So, so what we would do in those scenes is I would, I would take the track as if we were working on a Fred Wiseman documentary, which by the way, Cootie is within the ranks of that style of filmmaking to be, for the record. Um, so if we're doing like that type of film where it's very verite and it's just dialogue, then the, what we would do is we would split the track at the moment that someone presses play. And now we're listening to this, to the track over the speakers. And then those two, those two, those two moments get extremely different treatment. So it's all dialogue right up until the moment where someone presses play and then extreme EQing and, and, you know, room, simulation to make it feel like we're in that space and then you just have to very carefully slice and dice so that you you have the dialogue being the dialogue and you have the track being the full intense track and and that's where you know the the tools that we have now with editing and, and proposals and that kind of stuff really come in handy because it's it's very surgical um but then it, it because the track was there then you can make it feel huge even though it's literally a mono or stereo track recorded in a, in a camera yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it's been a while since I shot with that uh, mini DV camera. I can't remember if it, if it captures stereo or if it's mono. But then you said that subsequently you were using a Sony with probably with, with just like a, a shotgun mic yeah, mounted on the top. Yeah, I'll plug in. Yeah, so you were probably just get, capturing mono. But this is like a really full, vibrant 5.1 track. So, Paul, can you talk a bit about how you, you know, how did you pull that apart and kind of make this into kind of the immersive mix that we hear now. Cause it's really, it really, you know, you really feel like you're in the studio with those guys when they're doing the thing. It's, it's a just remarkable mix job. Yeah. Well, in the, in the old school way, like we would do, you know, in the cases where, where Cootie had been able to lay down two channels, we would just, if the dialogue was, was slightly favored on one track and the music was slightly favored on the other, then we would just take those two and treat them independently. Like some of the car, the car driving scenes are perfect examples too, where I would take the, you know, because the, the Rolling Stone journalist is sitting to the left a little bit. Right. So he's favored a little bit in the left. So then I just work that as much as I can to get his dialogue. And then Kanye's got the track playing and it's more in the right. So I just take the right channel and just get as much bass out of it as I can. And, and it's all very, you know, it's all fine tuning. But if you, if you take the, take the time and patience to, to work with it eventually you end up with this thing where it feels like it's a multi-track but it was really just two tracks which are a little different and again i'll say it for the 99th time it's all about recording the track well without distortion and that's what cootie did like if if i can turn if i can turn 400 hertz up 30 db and it still sounds good it's because he recorded it well <laughs> there's just no way around that <laughs> and it's like if he hadn't then we would have started talking about replacing it with a different track which we did very 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 rarely there's like maybe two times in all three pieces where we did a little bit of like, what if we take the original 
or sorry, the studio recording and drop it in and use it to manipulate. But it's so rare. Usually it's just working, you know, working the tracks that could be recorded. And you know what, Glenn, we were really like, even though, you know, we had the limitations of not being able to approach this film, like you would approach a movie and be able to like recreate a whole environment through Foley or whatnot. But we knew we wanted to give you something close to that experience of like, cause most docs are treated like docs where it's like, okay, we're just gonna use the natural sound. We wanted to like, how much can we kind of rebuild these experiences so they feel some cinematic and bigger than what they really are. And especially when we bring you into a space like the studio and, and how Kanye's listening to it from in the booth versus outside the booth or when we go into an auditorium and the rumble of the crowd and the bass and it's like all these things we wanted to really build, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and yeah. those are sounds that, that Paul just orchestrated brilliantly that aren't necessarily sounds that we even captured, you know, just to really create this body around, around it. So, yeah, I think that's a great point, which is like, uh, we talk about this sometimes on, on sound design for documentaries about like, you're trying to get to the emotional truth of what happened rather than, you know, just the, the literal truth of what, of what your, your microphone captured. So Paul, for some of those sequences, I mean, did you do some Foley? Did you build some stuff out? Did you, what did you, any special, what steps did you take to make it as cinematic as possible? Cootie, I know we come back to this moment eventually. The very, the very last, there's no Foley in the movie, but the very, except for yeah. the very last thing we did on the last day of mixing was a little Cootie performed Foley of some uh, MIDI keyboard <laughs> that had to, had to be in the movie. So there is, there's almost none, but there's just a little bit. There's like, you know, two, maybe, I don't know, 10 or 20 seconds of Foley, but it was recorded by our man himself right here in the studio. So Kanye is playing on a keyboard and there was no, cause he was playing the track. So it's, there was no sound of him actually touching the keyboard. So we got the MIDI keyboard out and who did a little, uh, a little MIDI keyboard performance. <laughs> Can't play the piano uh, at all, but hey. <laughs> but outside of that, very, very, very little. So. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's also a lot of live performance footage, uh, in the film. I'm thinking about, um, just a couple of things that jumped out at me were the, you know, the, the concert in Chicago that Common put together, uh, which is when you kind of reconnect with Kanye after a long absence. And, and then there's the big, you know, the fashion yeah. show and the, the listening party in Madison Square Garden. Those are both really huge sequences. I mean, did you tap into how sound at all, or were you just out there with your shotgun mic, kind of just capturing, or like, how did you? How what was what was what was the production track on those big uh, concert scenes? Well, with that one, it was uh, it was in camera um, at, at the Madison yeah, Square Garden. Yeah, but there was some good. There was like some like. See, this is what I love about this. The film is like from the naked eye when you watch it, it's so seamless that you would just think this was an experience. It, but it's, I mean. The, the undertones that, that, and like the sound beds that Paul created with the, whether it's through drones or however his process was, but like to mimic, we wanted to create this sort of moment that wears up to like, kind of like a frenzy with cameras and everything. And I remember we worked on that scene for a, a, a second because it transfers from, it, it goes from like, from, from Kanye and sort of this meditative like bliss of like, 
in the moment of beauty in, in his own mind of this performance he's doing. So all of a sudden he's thrust into the limelight of all the people. And I remember like, you know, there was this like sort of uh, these ambient sounds that Paul was working with just to help create that overwhelming feeling to, you know what I mean? And it's not, it wasn't as simple as just, this is what the, the camera caught. It was definitely something that he was orchestrating and designing. Well, Glenn, this must, I'm sure this theme must, must uh, emerge for you as you talk to like various people in different films, but it's like, especially in documentaries, it's everything that the, that the lay person or the person who's even interested in the process might think of as how we get there. It's almost as though it's inverted, right? So like the stuff that the cheek is describing right now, if I have to work the track that I have, which is just in camera, as much as I can to make it feel like you're there, then as he's sort of saying, the not obvious choice is that it's actually re it's actually putting back the other things like the crowd mm -hmm. or whatever it is so that now it feels fuller. It's a sort of like bizarre subtractive process where you, you take some things out and you add other things in so as to maximize what the audience is feeling and what the emotion is. And it's, it's kind of hard to describe if you're not there, but it's, it's not as simple as go to this thing, but we're do constantly doing this. We're in this manipulative method where we're taking things out, adding, replacing those things with other things, you know, um, and those two, those two examples, though the and that the common um, performance is a, mm -hmm. is a perfect example where that is definitely only in camera, and it's by adding the audience back. Like I was able to get everything I needed out of the camera recording, but then now there's no audience, so now it feels like isn't is there anybody there? <laughs> right. So that by creating that five one feeling of the excitement of the crowd, the track, the camera track is giving you what you need for the musical performance. You know. Um, and then similarly in the in the fashion the fashion show that was one that was one of the only maybe the only place or one of only two places where we actually take a the the studio out the studio track and put it in but not in the way that you might think it's because it works up into it works 98% of the way through and then there's a the moment where the track drops again and it at that moment, it was just, it was too much for Kinsama. Like it just was, the track just wasn't good. So there we we drop in the track, but make it feel like you're there. So just that, just to give us that final push, you know, we used, we used the recorded track. But. So, you know, one of the things I really responded to about the documentary is, um, you know, it would have been a very much more typical approach to have some talking heads come in and talk to us about set the context and tell us why Kanye is an important figure and the, you know, and, 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 and why we should be, you know, taking this journey. But obviously, you know, Cootie and Chika, you guys took a very different approach. And part of it is Cootie, this documentary is about you as well, right? You are part of this story as well. And I love your voiceover. I love the intimacy of it. Um, can you talk about the process of creating the voiceover and even like how you mic'd it and like what, wh how you performed it? Well, I say that, uh, our, our manager was saying I should put myself in the dock for sure. But you know, that was, that was really, you could see in every scene with people like, what up cootie and all of that, that that was going to be done. And, um, then our editor, Jason Harper, he, um, he suggested that I narrate it. He said, man, I didn't, I didn't think I had a voice for no narration at all, even though I did comedy, but it's, I didn't think that. And um, and when that happened, uh, that's when we called in Jay Ivey uh, to write, you know, to help write the narration. Max, between me, Chike, Max, and Jay Ivey, we nailed that. And then when we uh, got with Paul and we went to do it, it was, it was, uh, and then Paul probably can explain technically everything, but as far as like me doing it, 
it was drained. Well, was, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, I was going to say it was, it was no fun for you. <laughs> that's that's where I don't know. I'm a, as, as I said before, when I when I said these guys are in the same, in my opinion, the same class as people like Fred Wiseman. Like the the a lot of documentary filmmaking is is really just hard work. Like it's just really like you just have to shoot a lot of stuff. You just have to stay in the studio mixing until it's until it's really right. And it's it's hard because it's a lot of times you're working with compromised material. And and this is the perfect example. So Cootie had done all this, you know, as he just described once. Once it was, once he came to the place where he realized he was going to narrate, they did a lot of temp voiceover, and then they, you know, they came to C five, and we started recording ADR, and you know, just a very, very standard approach, a, you know, a large diaphragm, a U eighty seven, and a shotgun, right? But the eighty seven is what we used really in the in the movie. But then, I mean, here he was here for weeks recording voiceover, like just every day, every day, just like hundreds and hundreds of takes. Like, it's just hard work. It's own right? project so, by itself. Like that was his own thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And, that, and, that, and that's just, it's just pure stamina, you know, because, you know, like he said, you know, he's, he's used to being a performer on stage doing that, but this is a whole different thing. You go in the booth, you record the line, and then you've got, you know, your co-director, your editor, your producer, the writer, you know, on, on the talkbacks and no, maybe not. And so another one, like for days and days and days and days, and that's, and that's how you get there. And he, he, he just did it. He just put in the time. I really appreciate that theme of putting in the time. Um, Cootie uh, for you, especially, but Chike as well. Like, you know, you shot on this thing for 20 years and like, did you ever, were there parts of the process? Like you, you stopped for a few years, you know, you, you're very upfront about that in the documentary. Like, you know, maybe things you, you, you and Kanye weren't as close during periods and you would stop. Did you ever sort of like, were there periods when you kind of lost faith in the process and you sort of think like this, uh, this probably is not going to come together. Um, and how did you, how did you push through that? I guess is the real question. Right, well, I, uh, see, I never stopped, you know, I, I might've stopped filming Kanye, but we was filming so many people within Kanye. Even when I was filming Kanye, we was filming like Pitbull and John Legend and Jay Ivey. I was documenting Jay Ivey. So I never stopped filming. But then um but then you know when we separated, I just had a hundred percent faith because not for nothing, when he would do something like the Taylor Swift moment, you know, and he I'm like, I wish I was there to tell him don't do that, you know. But then I thought about it like, well, that makes the footage more valuable too. You know what I mean? So I knew that it was one day the footage was going to be, um, you know, everything that we did was going to be seen. I didn't know when, you know, we was going to do it a, a few times before and Kai wasn't ready the first time. The second time uh, in 2014, they, you know, his, his team stopped it for whatever reason. And then he had a mental breakdown after that, which I feel like he was crying out for help the, the time he wanted me and Chike to do the doc then. And um, and then we just, you know, took another approach and made it happen ourselves. And and that's when um, that's when, you know, that's why we see it right now on Netflix. But but, yeah, it was um, I never I never get. And then I had Chike too, and me and Chike were doing music videos. Then then, you know, God had us do our first documentary, which was Benji uh, ESPN 30 for 30, which we learned so much from uh, our producers, Ted Schillinger and Amani uh, Martin and and we kept going so it was never it's never it never was no downtime where i was like oh man i'm just gonna give up and uh we was always moving one of the things that really uh stood out for me in the and watched the film is how vulnerable kanye is and and how you know how open he was to you filming him from the beginning but also you know I, the, something that really struck me was um clearly how much love you guys have for him uh 
you know, I'm thinking about some of the stuff that you captured in the Dominican Republic when he's sort of, I guess, having kind of a manic phase. Um, and you talk in there about it, like you had not seen this side of him before and he's kind of talking crazy and kind of getting himself all wound up. And, and then you stop the camera and you're like, uh, you know, this isn't right to capture this. And I think, a, I think a lot of other filmmakers would have been like, Oh, this is good stuff. I'm going to get this. This is so I, I just, I just wanted to just express my appreciation for your humanity and the way you guys clearly love him and the way you, you know, kind of explore how complicated he is, but never in an, in an exploitive way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kai was always my, my brother, you know, you see, we had like 500 hours of uh, footage on Kanye, you know, but it was, you know, years of us being, being connected. You know what I mean? So it was more than just, just filming. We, we lived in the W together, you know, we came up in Chicago um, when he was young and I was older. So I would take him around. I would go grab him when we would go places and, you know, he'd come up to the barbershop, play beats. And so it was a relationship, but, but he was definitely, a little brother, which I always wanted. I think I found a little brother in Kanye and in Chike. You know, I always wanted a little, I have three sisters, so I always used to want a little brother. And then here go my, my two little brothers because they're younger than me. <laughs> you know? but, I, but, but also, you know, what I spoke of before about Cootie and I and us having our different strengths, you know, this is again another strength that Cootie, it's just, it's just a gift that he has and just in life. And I think it's perfect that he decided to pick directing to be able to utilize this particular gift that he has, but it's the ability to like make people feel very comfortable very quickly with him. And and it's because he's very non-judgmental. So he creates this space where you feel very comfortable um, just being a hundred percent yourself. And I think that's the vulnerability that you get from Kanye. And I think it's, it is, it is because they're just friends, but it's also Cootie's able to have that with strangers. So it's just, it's just a, a special gift that he has that makes him an amazing director because of that, you know? So I can only imagine that this must've been hard for Kanye to watch. What, what was his reaction to the film? Well, we only seen him watch one. He came to the premiere and, you know, he was laughing and, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was emotional seeing his mom, but you know, he'd been, we've been, I said in that footage a while back, um, of his mom talking to him. Definitely the giant looks in the mirror, like right before he went to go meet with Trump, I ran across that footage that Donda actually made me send to him. Uh, Cause I kept running mm -hmm. into it and I'm like, wait a minute, she telling me to send this to Kanye and I sent it. But uh, so he was seeing that, but I know he, he, after the premiere, he he thanked me, you know what I mean? For the first time. <laughs> You know, in, in whatever years, this twenty some uh, years, you know, he he, he thanked me and, and, and Chike, and um, so he he loved it. But the other two, I'm not I'm not sure. I know he gonna love two, three. It, I know it would be hard. And I used to tell him before um, when we had the symbol and the cuts. I'm like Kanye, I want you to watch these, but you have to watch it with everybody that was there at the beginning with you that loved you. You know, and we always say, don't you can't let your imagination get in the way of God's manifestation. So instead of that happening, which never happened because he went out to France or whatever, then he wanted creative control after that. So it was a little, it got a little crazy. But when he came to the premiere, God made it where he was around everybody who was there at the beginning with him and celebrities that's, that's around him now to watch it with him. So God made it even more special, which 
we cut a piece um, that we were going to put at the end of of three um, that premiere because Danny Danny was there with Channel Zero, and, um, and you know, real quick, I just got to say this real quick because ever since we've been on this interview, right, and Paul's on here. I'm hearing everything outside. Like, <laughs> I'm trucks. I'm like, oh, you say Paul's over here. Yeah. <laughs> I, want, I want to do, just because you know, I don't even think that way. When yeah. the it does make you, it does make you think about it differently. Well, other than that truck, we, you were totally clear the yeah, whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. But yeah, that, um, I think I finished the point. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, it is. A, it's a very, it's a very powerful documentary, and I must say, you've got uh, probably the most intense dentist scene I have ever seen. Um, it was definitely tough for Kai at the time, but he Kai so strong, man. It was just amazing to see how he, you know, how he just went from the dentist's office to doing everything he was doing like it didn't happen, you know. So that's the type of person. His passion, um, passion, just, just guided him all the way through, you know, he ain't even feel no pain. Could he mention before um, that hoop dreams was really important to you and it was a big influence and kind of um, inspired you to do this. Uh, I guess, you know, for both you and, and uh, Chike, uh, you know, how do you hope this film kind of lands with maybe young people who are thinking about making documentaries or looking at film as a, as a form of expression? What, what, did, you know, what do you hope they take away from your film? I mean, I, you know, I, I definitely hope, definitely aspiring filmmakers. I, I, I just hope they appreciate <clears throat> the marathon, the time, the, the work that it takes. You know, it's not an overnight thing, and, and, and it's a it's a thing of passion. You, you know, for us, it, we never thought about it as like a tool that would make money for us. Like it was just we wanted to bring these stories to the world because we were passionate about the storytelling process, and in particular. Um, you know, Cootie started this this journey, um, passionate about the subject as far as like, and and seeing how far that would take him. And then as our lives, you know, as we met and then experienced more life, life started to Im impede on this process because we were learning more. Our spirituality was growing. Then it became about man, we have something here that that's a tool that could show people how to move in their passion. It's actually showing some people somebody speak things into fruition that that happened some X amount of years later. And these are things that you you only hear about, but you never get a chance to show. So, and we were able to, I think, make something even more special than maybe Cootie even intended when he first started filming. So it's a twofold thing. I think for filmmakers, it's, it's just the dedication that it takes and the hard work that it takes and the drive. And, um, and I think for uh, people that aren't filmmakers, but just to struggle with, just getting up every day and trying to figure out what they love and having enough faith to move in that it's, here's a blueprint for that, you know, so here's something that can maybe just inspire you, you know, for that. And something that the people that made the movie, we can go back and look at the film and, and it can be a source of inspiration for ourselves as well. So. Yeah. Like moving, moving in your genius, you know, and, and, and that's not, you know, being a musician or filmmaker is this, it, it, your genius. Paul is a genius. You know what I mean? And, and you're a genius, man. You know what I'm saying. So it's like, it's like just moving that genius and never stop, never quit, keep going, no matter what comes. And you know, learn from the obstacles that come in your way, you know. But understand that God's take you on a whole another direction, you know. So that and and, and actually, that's the the 
the comments that we've been getting since the movie been out. Like people like, man, I went in the studio. I picked up a camera. I, I picked up a paintbrush. People coming oh, and they saying things like, man, you saved my son life. Like parents will come up to, to us and say things like that. And it's like, wow, it's actually doing exactly what what uh, God wanted it to do. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you taking the time today to talk to us about this uh, uh, really remarkable film and the great soundtrack, uh, the design and the mix, just fantastic. So you have a lot to be proud of. And uh, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show and talking to us about it. Appreciate you, Glenn. Thank you so much for having me. Great to see you, Paul, too, for sure. Thanks for having us. Thank you again to Cootie, Chike, and Paul for sharing their insights today into the making of Genius, a Kanye trilogy. And if you haven't seen the film yet, you can catch all three parts right now on Netflix. You should do that. You can find a link, as always, in our show notes. I'd also like to thank our friends at Netflix for helping us pull this conversation together. So before you go, please make sure you subscribe to us, the Dolby Institute podcast. We've got some very big, big episodes planned for you in the coming weeks. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts via the links in our show notes or simply by searching for Dolby in your favorite podcast app. Until then, thanks again for joining us. This has been Sound and Image Lab brought to you by the Dolby Institute. I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Our producer and editor is Michael Coleman. Our executive producers are Amanda Schneider and Jack Ferry with production support by Taylor Hines and our production coordinator is Sonny Chen. Thank you for listening.